0: Collecting all of your alien artifacts that sort of look like plastic crap that they got out of the props room. It's Feature, Please.
1: A Hateful Voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm another member of Voyager that got in a fistfight over some alien tennis. Peter. And Peter, this week we had the pleasure of reviewing what episode of Star Trek Voyager? Season 6, Episode 2. I like not having to differentiate between, like... Real episode numbers and Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Now that we've moved on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Survival instinct.
0: We uh, talked to death
1: the Ron Moore
0: angle last week. I think worthwhile doing so. But this is, as we said, then his sole uh, writing credit, full writing credit for the entire show.
1: Second to last thing of Trek he ever touches. What's crazy about this is I didn't even remember that Ron Moore had anything to do with it until I was reading through the memory alpha after. You didn't remember? I didn't remember, and I don't think tone-wise there was anything that really jumped off the page at me as saying, like, man, this is some hardcore shit. Like, looking at all of our conversations we had last week and knowing what Ron Moore is capable of, I'm assuming he came in and this was his attempt to, like, light touch and and warm the room up a little bit. Uh, I would say this, especially with all of Season 5, brands barrel extravaganza um that this wasn't tone wise any darker than anything we saw in season five
0: so ron moore was always a guy who was still you know born and bred trek producer like this is the sort of thing that ds9 had a lot of too where you know it's not necessarily a a saw level horror but uh has i'm sorry she
1: said potsy level or
0: <laughs> Potsy level or apologies. Uh, but at the same time allows the, a more mature story to be told right about, you know, identity and choice. And it, it, it has
1: what I would call a Ron Moore touch on it. It's just not necessarily the one we're used to from Battlestar Galactica. I think it's more that uh, season two, I'm sorry, season six, episode one, which was um, Equinox part two, really put a lot of beloved characters uh, in dirty street knife fights, specifically Janeway and um, Chakotay. So, I, you know, I'm not looking for dark, gritty grind, but just something bolder, something a little more. Yeah, I guess bold would be the right word.
0: I think that's probably why he didn't make it, right? Like we, we went through that last week. They weren't having any of of that on the show. So this is him trying to fit himself into the house style a little bit, do his thing. Mm. Uh, overall, I felt like the episode was in the Voyager tradition of not quite good. <laughs> but it is closer to good than most of those examples, in my opinion. There, There's just a few things that didn't click until kind of the back half of the episode. Um, and the last fifteen minutes are are good because they do kind of figure out their premise a little bit better by then. Uh, but the beginning is just a little uh,
1: sloppy, and it held it held down the rewatch for me a little bit. Well, speaking of the beginning, we get treated to something I feel we haven't seen in a long time, and it's a close up of a shitty matte painting. Indeed. And- in the event that it's not a map painting, it's somehow this is a CG planetscape we're seeing. They did a great job making it look like a crappy map painting. But it's uh, it seems to be a jungly, swampy, real Dagoba looking yeah. area. Yeah, planet swamp ass. <laughs> and you get a space ball hurtling towards the surface, which we will see is actually a Borg sphere at Crashlands, and uh, we see a bunch of Borg drones crawling out of the escape hatch. And it's I I flip-flop real hard on it, because first I say that you know these Borg look like shit, that they have no screen presence. I don't know if it's these guys doing a bad job portraying the Borg. I don't know if uh, Dark Frontier just ran the Borg into the fucking dirt so hard. I'm sorry, Voyager as a whole has ran the Borg into the dirt so hard that Whatever fear, whatever edge they would have had back from TNG is just completely gone.
0: Yeah, you don't ever see the Borg at this point as something all that special, right? Like that that's probably the worst part. Like, oh, Borg, that's a thing that happens sometimes. You know, the TNG dealt with Borg and every time it was with hushed tones of like, this is some fucked up shit. Like they showed up the second time with, with Hugh and all that. Like, oh, my God. This is nuts. Um, now it's just, oh, it's Borg. Yeah. I, I would, mean, I, it's probably a little scarier than the Melon, but you
1: <laughs> know, just a little. I was happy to see the work go into making these Borg look a little more first contacty, a little more diesel. And I'm not saying that by, you know, jacked up and big, but diesel like hard 90 degree angle, robotic pieces sticking out of them not the fucking dudes in darth vader pajamas that we had in uh the last few borg episodes um specifically one i thought the borg treatment there was really bad the the seven of nines awake for a month flying the ship and i was surprised to see because the capsule for this was Hey, Voyager's at a space station and there's a shore leave shenanigans. I was not expecting this at all to be a Borg centric story. So when I saw Jerry Ryan crawling out all full Borg'd up again, I was surprised. And the first thought I had was like, oh, man, I'm sure she was really excited to get back in this goddamn thing. I just look so itchy. (laughs) Like everything about
0: that get up, the, the caked on makeup all of the plastic bullshit they got to tack on you it's just like man i just would want to i just i would want to die if i was in that fucking thing
1: yeah so good writing uh in that the theme an a theme for this episode is these borg need to reach consensus and this is established immediately we see that this crash landing has somehow severed the borg from the collective which is very impressive giving the extreme lengths that Voyager had to go through to try to keep seven of nine off the grid and failing consistently. But this Dagobah planet must be the, the dark force cave where Vader's hanging out is, is keeping them from talking to home base. And instantly they kind of go into this like ad hoc backup mode where they're not in the collective, but they're trying to maintain the collective by running decisions past each other and needing full agreement before executing.
0: The best part of this episode to me
1: uh, was the
0: overall characterization of how the other three drones in the flashback sequences deal with their dawning realization of their individuality versus Seven of Nine and the explanation as to why it was different. This episode's best parts to me were the parts that allowed the viewer to understand how far seven of nine has actually come because she's sexy robot lady a lot of times and, and doesn't show a lot of emotion. It's difficult to really see uh, week to week that there's been a change. This episode was actually great for letting you see the change. And in a way that, uh, in a way that's obviously complementary to Jerry Ryan's acting skill, because it's a matter of degrees that is more subtle than a, a huge change in personality would be probably easier to play. Uh, but that they wrote it delicately enough or that Ron Moore wrote it delicately enough to allow that to shine through.
1: Yeah, these three other Borg will embody a handicap where she shines through with decisiveness, and the decisiveness has been a grading alienating quality in the past, but compared to contemporaries like this, it all of a sudden looks like a strength.
0: Well, let's talk about the episode in terms of the uh, the the parts that are flashbacks and the parts that are in the in the present to kind of order our thoughts a little bit better. Sure, the flashbacks are pretty straightforward. The other three drones that are part of this
1: squad of, of this platoon. So are they, of nine. What, what is a unimatrix? is is a functioning unit, a unit or is like a a battalion, a unimatrix? I just know it's a subdivision
0: that is used to organize them. And beyond that, I'm not sure what's ever
1: established in canon, what it means. Cause she was a big deal, right? Like that was the whole point of uh, dark frontier was like her designation and function as a tertiary adjunct or whatever. Like she was a big shot with better hardware than most. Right.
0: Yeah. There is a, I, I think a, a, essentially a level of hierarchy based on function within each unit matrix. And seven of nine was the leader of her unit matrix. And which makes a degree of sense in canon, even before you kind of get to the the Voyager fuckery, which is while there is a hive mind, there has to be instruction that are handed down, and while all drones have been you know uh, cybernetically implanted and given enhancements, you know the biomatter, the the brain, the overall now dormant personality of the individual drone, is going to make each one better at a specific task than others. And Seven of Nine clearly had a a knack for using the strength of her personality to lead other drones. And so that is why she had that function. And that's demonstrated here. She's sort of in a leadership role, not explicitly, but implicitly amongst the the quartet that are are on the planet. Uh, But what comes apparent is... She becomes far more insecure and afraid of what's going on as they remain more uh, isolated from the collective and start to dwell on their own thoughts, and the other three start to have emergence of their old personalities and memories.
1: Rapid emergence at that, and that is one of the hard pills I had swallowing in this episode because you... I would say these guys are on the surface for maybe a week at the most. Did did you get an impression it was shorter or longer than that? They never say exactly how long they were there. I don't think I'm out of line in saying that it seemed relatively short. And almost immediately, all four of them start having recollections of their former lives and... Uh, memories are bleeding through and personality is starts, you know, coming out pretty soon. The, the best portrayal of that comes out of, uh, I would say my favorite character, my favorite guest this episode, which is the Bajoran woman um, who will later come to find out is a former Starfleet officer who was on the USS Excalibur, which was in a ambassador class that Riker commanded back in TNG, which was in a Ron Moore episode. And uh, Night Shift, you know, they got attacked by the Borg and she got assimilated. And now she's in the Delta. Quad. anyways, this stuff starts coming to the surface pretty quick. But then when you compare that against the difficulty in pulling Picard out of Locutus and, you know, I'm loath to mention it, but Picard, the extreme difficulty that the Borg Reclamation Project was having <laughs> God, it feels like a, I'm trying you to don't. talk about Picard it, It's I, like I'm lugging I, I, blocks
0: I'm not interested in talking about this
1: non-canon material to which you bring up <laughs> okay. But so Lakitus I, it, it, Yes it just, <laughs> and, and for someone who is a Trek big shot like Ron Moore The I There should have been some MacGuffin on this planet that Undoes Borg indoctrination. It's something about the air, something about the some whatever's cutting them off of the collective is encouraging this individuality because it is such a stark contrast to everything that you had seen prior. Even Hugh, too. Hugh was like uh, super hard for them to pull out. Here's the
0: thing. So I buy it because Hugh and Seven of Nine were identified by the same circumstance uh and these other three were not and that is these three were adults when they were assimilated they had pre-established firm personalities they knew who they were they were doing things in life and they got turned into borg whereas hugh and seven of nine were both assimilated much younger seven of nine as a child hugh was clearly I was supposed to be a teenager at best they didn't have a background in having their own personality to make the emergence of their per- their individuality particularly easy. Whereas these other three were, were middle-aged adults when they got turned into Borg and they're like, oh, oh, this is bad. Yeah, but Picard, the cutest. But that was when the link was still active to Picard from the Collective. Right. Like he wasn't it wasn't until the very end of the episode when Data interrupts that connection and he immediately snaps back to Picard and goes like, put him to fucking sleep, Data. Before that, he was still locked into the to the collective. Yeah. And the moment he wasn't locked in the collective, he was he was like, holy shit, let's kill these guys. Like, Data, you know, I'm trying to get in through to you. Like, let's do this. Right. Like, he's, he's right on it. And so. I don't think it's inconsistent at all to suggest because this is probably extremely rare, right? Like this just simply does not happen very often in the board collective that you have individual drones that float off the the grid, and if they do, and you reclaim them, they're not going to, to be you know able to reclaim that individuality again until it just unless it happens again. But that you know after a couple of weeks of like having. To, just kind of think about it suddenly. Oh, I'm starting to remember who I was. I get it. Because they had the the established lives before they were made into Borg. And Seven of Line does not. And that ends up being the plot point. She was a kid. So she starts acting like a frightened child when her memories and her individuality reassert themselves. Which I think, and this is what I really liked about it, really. It matches well with exactly how she acted back at the beginning of season four. She acted like a scared child that desperately wanted to go back to the warm embrace of the things she knew, which is why she was so resistant to joining the crew and kind of acted petulant, a- acted immature, she kept shooting up engineering. Like I, I know over, over and over again. I,
1: I was there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 26 so,
1: episodes worth of the same story. I I, I was there.
0: Yeah, so while, yes, we all have our PTSD from the workplace violence slash repeated uh, version of that story, it makes sense. And it actually provides a nice contrast with a now more matured, more assured individual seven of nine that we see in the current day segments.
1: The other three and there's there's one other guy, one other drone who's injured. Uh, we find out, like I said, the the lady in the group is a Bajoran Starfleet officer. There's another guy played by Von Armstrong who is a big fucking deal. He's like so many different characters in Trek, like super that guy, right? Specifically and awesomely, Doctor Telek Remor, who was the Romulan scientist from Eye of the Needle way back in season one like one of the best voyager episodes in my opinion yeah one that we uh
0: continue to reference as a sort of benchmark of voyager quality and strangely by the way something that we really liked it i think every other podcast that reviewed it did not which i will never understand well look that's why we're the best (laughs) It's true. Uh he goes on to play extremely important uh secondary character, or recurring secondary character on Enterprise as well. Admiral yeah, I saw
1: Admiral So and so. And then uh Tim Keller as a P. Chan who was a dude that uh was taking care of his sick parents when they got assimilated. Uh so these personalities start boiling up. Like you said, seven and nine kind of has this knee jerk reaction saying, Listen, this is against the rules stop accessing those memory files stick to just the the bare minimum stuff we need uh the one Borg that's kind of on the ropes that we haven't really met goes and has his uh death rattle and it spooks seven to nine there's some talk about we don't want to rejoin the collective a homing beacon that they had constructed to draw a cube over and pick him back up gets smashed And these guys are pretty deep into rejecting the Collective, wanting to re-embrace their individuality. And after witnessing the death of the the Borg drone, Seven comes up with a little plan. She decides that
0: uh, to fend off her newfound fear of death in the dark with her childlike mind reasserting itself – Uh, that she just needs to create an entirely different collective uh, by force. And so she goes all fucking Terminatrix and tracks down each of the uh, rogue Borg and injects them with nanoprobes into their left hemisphere of their brain uh, to establish a new
1: collective link between them so that they will uh, follow her orders. So... Let's let's do some thought experiments here or some some grander what if. You know, I don't think the Borg has ever had to really worry about drones going AWOL. And certainly from what we have seen, there has not been any adversary to the Borg who is interested in wide scale reappropriation of uh those who've been pressed into service to the collective uh, i think had if there was if there was a real risk of losing membership that when they would have rejoined the collective and seen like oh hey seven and nine you came up with a really great backup um collective maybe we should just do this to everybody so there's for really really real no going back but again i don't think it's enough of a threat that it's ever warranted it would have warranted the Borg to widespread implement something like that. Yeah,
0: this is this always seems like a niche case. And apparently, you know, the Borg have incredible memory <laughs> blanking technology. <laughs> so they just make it so that you don't remember. And that ends up being the the first plot point when we get into the current day, which is that uh, you know, Voyager is at uh, space station uh, party down. At uh, Delta Quadrant DS9 at uh, Babylon 5, but uh, with three times as many lizard people, whatever, the Marconian Outpost. And they are for once uh, not having to deal with their shitty next door reputation. That's that's the big deal, right? Like this apparently they don't have it downloaded on their phone. They're not. They're not aware that the Death Ship Voyager is responsible for mayhem and chaos wherever it goes. And these uh, Marconian people are like, "Yo, hey, welcome to our hood. We appreciate you being here. Why don't you? Why don't you hang out? You know, let's let's uh, let's. We'll have people come to you. You guys can come to our space station. We're gonna give you gifts, including this giant beer pong machine, or whatever the fuck that's <laughs> supposed to be." <laughs> Uh, and, a, and a plant that keeps trying to eat your captain's hair. Uh, it's going to be great. And uh, that's that's where things start. It's a packed Voyager. It's filled with all these people. There's people visiting the bridge. There's like people packed at the
1: gills in the halls. It's
0: it's unlike it's anything we've ridiculous. seen.
1: Ridiculous. It to show you how lively and crazy the space station is. They just get every costume and wardrobe on and have an extra stand around on wardrobe. It's the same deal as the 37s. Uh, we, Wow, this is a great space station with so much cool stuff. And yeah, no, we're not going to show it to you. We're just going to tell you about it. And we're going to reuse the same sets that we've already got and, and just put a bunch of people in here. It we is spend all of our money on makeup. <laughs> ridiculous. There's like 15 randos standing around the bridge. Every inch of hallway has like 40 plus people. The mess hall is swamp. Like I get what they were going for. But Uh, Janeway agreeing to things at this level, given the amount of enemies that Voyager has really seems silly. There is a lot of cool Where's Waldo going on, though, if you're paying attention to the background the dinosaur people what the hell are they called the voth i think yes um they're there which pretty big crazy deal right <laughs> well they already have transwerve technology so you would you would assume I know, but it's still like that far out there wouldn't actually be all that hard for them i i forget at the end no no i'm not doubting their ability to get out there i'm just saying that you know with that, that was oh, they thing. run into
0: Voyager again, and they're not like the danger alarms are going
1: off. Like you, motherfuckers, ruined our whole civilization. Yeah, I forget how did that end. Did they just sweep it all under the carpet? Yeah, 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 yeah. They 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 blackmailed them, saying they were going to kill his kids, and and then they. Yeah, there was a couple other um, cool picks out there too. I saw mention um, Memory Alpha. Oh, the Mawasi. That's right who are they they were oh they were the guys that the Krenim were going at it with yeah yeah the cat people uh smooth yeah. smooth b the cat guy from uh from Zubilee zoo
0: <laughs> yeah the zooly <Zubilee> zoo guy <laughs> yeah, oh man you took you took the entire viedor please fandom down a rabbit hole with that by the way <laughs> like that our facebook group was nothing but zooly zoo memories for a solid 2 days
1: yeah i like to share the misery the tree That Janeway Janeway's ready room has turned into a souvenir shop and the center of attention. You already mentioned it's a it's a tree with prehensile limbs, which I will call the evil dead tree. And you can imagine what kind of adventures Janeway will get into with that (sighs) thing later. Uh, But we find out that the space station. (laughs) That's an entirely different uh, rabbit hole than the Zooply Zoo stuff. That's why we're cruising right by it. We'll leave that to the (laughs) fan base to come draw their own conclusions there. Tuvok lays like the security report, like, yeah, three pages of stuff getting stolen, vandalized and whatever. And it's like, yeah, well, you're kind of at this. When's the last time they really docked at a space station? Was it the Necretic Expanse or did we have one after that? No, it was in the Credit
0: Expanse. Uh, Fair Trade was the last time they docked a space station that we saw. Yeah, Janeway's like, "Well, Tuvok's the fun police." Well, uh, <laughs> Come on, buddy, this was actually a great idea. I'm very pleased. And he, his response, I think, is, "I am pleased that you are pleased." <laughs> like maximum Tuvok sass. And then like it was Chikoté good. Off-
1: Chik- 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 offers to give him a medal. <laughs> Yeah, my appreciation. I like these space station stories. I wish that that hadn't been in competition with what is a pretty interesting Borg story. I wish there were more space station adventures. I like seeing the crew out there interacting. Um, but whatever. Uh, this one, we security's dip. rolling around with phasers, which is interesting to see. You don't normally see armed guards around Voyager. And we get this little subplot with uh, Seven of Nine hanging out with her child cohort, uh, Wildman. So her hanging out with Seven of
0: Nine, again, makes more sense with the context that this episode provides. Seven relates to Naomi because Naomi is a child. And Seven of Nine is still trying to learn all of the adult socializing skills that she never had a chance to learn. So her interactions with her adult peers are often stilted and awkward and angry and rife with misunderstanding. We, in fact, see that when her with her scene with Bolana, But she is able to relate to Naomi very easily because Naomi is a kid. And that's the level that Seven was at before she got liberated from the collective so i'm starting to appreciate their dynamic a bit more uh
1: in that context no i mean it's like hey you promised me we do lunch they go to do lunch the mess hall is super packed all of their kangaroo stew has been eaten and then uh, <laughs> our marsupial stew like you monsters <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, for real man like ew uh but then neelix tries to 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 bribe people away from kangaroo stew with pizza, which we had earlier been led to believe was very difficult, so that's extremely generous of Neelix to bust out the the party pizzas. It's 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 some good canon that that Tom Paris was able to finally like get him to make pizza. Uh, while they're having their lunch, that is shoulder to shoulder people everywhere. Seven gets approached by this dude who is wearing one of the worst costumes I've ever seen. It's like the most itchy fluffy bushy wool tunic blue wool tunic it definitely
0: looks like exactly the thing that your grandmother bought you for christmas and that you could not throw away
1: fast <laughs> you know like ugh, i got yeah. i, I got my back itched looking at it yeah so uh this dude rolls up on seven and is like i was told you might be interested in these and he opens up this briefcase and there's a bunch of garbage in it and seven's just like yes i want this my captain will give you your <laughs> wildest desires
0: seven of nine do not send her to go buy a used car <laughs> like, yeah. my captain will reimburse you whatever all you of wish
1: the, all of the dilithium and transporter coils and everything else i i want to take a side note here uh delta flyers they just reviewed maneuvers and that's the one where Uh, Seska, who had already joined the uh, Kmart Klingons, the Kazon, they ram the ship with that like spear vehicle and then steal a transporter pad and then Chakotay breaks orders. Uh, No, that's the one where they have Tom Paris uh, have a hissy fit and leave. Right. And then it was all part of that plot line. I don't know
0: if there were two different episodes when the Kazon uh like had did their grand theft transporter and the episode where tom's uh deception was unveiled i don't actually remember anymore if that happened at two different times they may have culminated in the same episode
1: i remember specifically though and and they touch on it that's one where the other uh kazon Mages are being bitches, and then Seska, Queen of Burns, just straight up transports him into them space. Into space, yeah, because the transporter is a terrifying weapon. <laughs> uh, and then they got to go save. I, yeah, th- she steals uh, Chakotay's neck juices with the needle at the end, and Janeway pulls off that trick where they do like a high speed warping, and then beam everybody over, and they have like people hostage, and they they go to anyways. You and I never picked up on it. We had a lot to say about that episode, but um, Robert Duncan McNeil points out something that really seemed like you and I should have been all over it. And it's by the end of the episode, Janeway does not require the Kazon to return the stolen transporter, which is the root cause of the entire debacle in the first place. And it's seems like such a huge, crazy miss. Wow, really? Yeah. How did how did we miss that? I was so enraptured by Seska's badassness, I guess, <laughs> missed the glaring fucking plot hole that Federation super technology was loose in the hands of cold blooded murderers who just beam fucking people into space like moops. Anyways, uh, yeah, whatever this guy wants, apparently Jane will give him transporter technology, replicators, sex bots, you name it, it's yours. The
0: Garbage was a, apparently a group of synaptic relays that Seven of Nine immediately identifies as being part of her old Unimatrix, which was Unimatrix matrix one And that is why she is deeply interested in this specific garbage. Uh, the guy walks away with uh, – after uh, making the best deal ever of whatever he wants and uh, you see him – what it looks like communicating telepathically with two others. Um, And obviously they all look quite familiar because we've already seen them in the flashback scene. And these are the three drones that were on the planet with seven.
1: They are up to no good. And there's some key dialogue here that clues you into that uh, because they say, no, the security protocols are formidable, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wow, Voyager Tuvok. (laughs) <laughs> formidable never heard these those words ever together <laughs> these guys are the that's how bad the Borg have fallen in Voyager alright Tuvok's computer, good at defeating them <laughs> computer people robot brain computer people flummoxed by Tuvok's security protocols unrecoverably bad the Borg are dead Well these three a uh, specific former
0: drones, uh, the idea is is that they're all connected through a neural link that continues uh, as a consequence of what happened to them on the planet. Now, this is unrevealed to the audience at this time, right? Like they're connected. They don't know why. And we'll find out Seven of Nine doesn't know why either. Uh, the The part of the dynamic of the other three drones that I thought was missing was they didn't really portray their collective hive mindness very well until the last third of the episode, because it looks like they're all just talking to each other. Right. And there doesn't seem to be a confusion in identity. What they really needed to do in this scene was make it so that the voiceovers started with one of each character and then started to shift between them. So you like heard the female voice out of one of the two guys or you heard, uh, you know, Admiral Forrester's voice out of the lady, you know, like something like that, where you can the the viewer suddenly kind of gets a
1: taste of the confusion that they're dealing with.
0: They and lay it they on are... you
1: a little bit during some spoken dialogue. Yeah, and and that's at the end of the
0: episode is they actually finally do figure out a line to kind of show you what they are trying to portray. But until then, it just feels like they're all just like three dudes that all like can read each other's thoughts. And it's super uncomfortable because, you know, the the one guy wants to bang the chick and the other one, you know, like doesn't want to be part of that. You know, it's like I it's it's not it's not portrayed the way that I think they intended for the first 25 minutes.
1: I want to go back and revise some of my earlier statements on on further consideration. We're leaving out key components in our examples of what happens when the Borg get kicked off the grid which is the chakotay hippie commune co-opt yeah That's yeah the... they all they all got their shit figured out they got their shit figured out pretty quickly it sounded like in that with um cardassians and claim like all the, the the faction race wars that started after that and jumping to the end, too, that should have been one of the options I think they put on the table as an alternative to returning them to the collective would have been sending them to the co-op, which would have arguably been a better existence than the Borg. But, hey, that would require Voyager to remember what it did a year ago. And we know that's certainly not going to happen. Um, I, I, I will say, though, that the I don't know if that was on the table based on what they put
0: out, that they needed to be re-assimilated to live. And the co- cooperative wasn't assimilating anybody.
1: Uh, I mean, they kind of half ass assimilated Chicago. I think it was certainly within their power to do so. It's it just could have not been Voyager's just power to remember back that far. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they've got a plan. Uh, they know that Seven of Nine is crucial to them figuring out what the fuck is wrong with them. I'll also say too on further consideration that the it seemed like these guys were kind of problem plagued moving forward once the Borg did come in and reassimilate them that they had the regular Borg hive mind in the ear on top of the redundant link seven created between the three of them which probably would not be a good thing for them to instill collective wide to have all that redundant noise so. That makes sense there, too. But anyways, uh, they're tired of hearing each other's thoughts. They want to make it stop. They need to get seven and nine. And instead of just going up and asking her for help. Which yes, was a reasonable thing. <laughs> like, this is the biggest miss in the history of why didn't
0: you just fucking ask? Right. Like, uh, is it? They, they I don't, feel like it's worse. They don't ever establish a single reason at all for them not to just ask. They're just like, we have to do this. But what if we hurt her? Well, we have to do this because it's super important. And they've never established a reason for like, we should probably just be like, hey, remember us? We're all export gear now. Can you help us? Like, they don't give you even a shred of a reason. And that is just the most baffling part of the the most
1: baffling part is once the jig is up and security kicks down the door and just shoots (laughs) everybody. And Janeway and everybody's pissed, like, oh, my God, why would you do this to us? And they're like, but we're Borg, and she did to us. And instantly, they're just like, oh, cool. Yeah, you guys can just leave without any sort of security escort. Like, everything is forgiven. As <laughs> as silly as it is for you to not have asked for help and assaulted my pet spines project, I will just as bafflingly uh, forgive and forget and, and let bygones be bygones so you guys can attack her again later on. So they, uh, they try
0: and hijack Seven's brain they fail 7 of 9 starts to get into a low energy wrestling match with him and then Tuvok comes in with a fucking crew it's like break like bust through the door like the Kool-Aid man and they all just gat everyone down it's actually quite a quite a sight to see the, the security
1: team roll in and effectively eliminate intruders the like first time ever <laughs> Ron Moore clearly has a soft spot for 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 Starfleet security. Yeah, just just bah, 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 bah.
0: and they they all took precise shot feats because they <laughs> shoot into melee without a problem,
1: right? Like seven of nine is just like, oh, oh. Yep.
0: oh, everyone's on the ground now. This is cool.
1: Seven's like, damn, having phaser shot at me in an active shooter environment is kind of scary. Maybe I need to lay off that and have some sympathy for people in engineering. Now nah, um, she
0: needs to break out the, her engineering
1: shooting rifle
0: every once yeah. in a while. Got to polish her up.
1: Uh, we come back from the commercial break and we see the uh, dude who will be the the Romulan guy from Eye of the Needle laid out with some really epic chest hair. Uh, I don't know what the Borg do to you exactly during assimilization, but uh, manscaping is not a priority. If you think that's epic chest hair, bruh, I, I think I have
0: four times as much as this man does easily. I
1: would have been very happy to have gone through this podcast and not discover that information. Uh, But I will say I, my (laughs) heart goes out to this guy. My heart goes out (laughs) to this guy because they've got prosthetics all over. them. it's, it's, it's good looking, nasty, gnarly robot shit underneath the surface of some like wrinkly, withered skin. Um, on his arm, on his shoulder, on his hand. The girl's got some serious stuff on her leg. The other guy's got it all over the back of his head. But this guy, I've had spirit gum. I've done Halloween costumes with liquid latex. Liquid latex spirit gum does not play well with body hair. And with, given the amount of chest hair this guy does have, I guarantee you he did not have that much coming out of the makeup chair after trying to remove these prosthetics. No. And I agree
0: it all looks very good. Uh the They tried to portray them physically as having their Borg implants removed by someone who's not as good as the doctor, uh, which I thought was a clever idea. Uh, The one thing, though, uh, kind of a a small error. So the Bajoran Starfleet officer, uh, ex-Starfleet officer uh, Marika, uh, no one noticed she was Bajoran (laughs) like while she was wandering around the ship with her clearly Bajoran
1: nose. With her beret, they just thought she was French and called it a day. Yeah, like, hey, are you? Uh, what's a random alpha quadrin doing up here? Like, hey, hey, buddy!
0: <laughs> like, no one, no one seemed to notice. But I guess like you could buy that too because
1: there's just like tons of visitors, right? Like, people were too you're, you're, distracted by her extremely uncomfortable looking clothes.
0: The trio wakes up and are like, yeah. So we all think you know, feel each other's thoughts. And uh, we have this like backup collective and we're desperate to be rid of it because we want to be people. Uh, They mentioned they they broke out of the collective just a few months prior. So Uh, but they were able to do so because of the continually the continuing nature of their connection with each other allowed them to break free of the collective and effect an escape at some point.
1: I would have liked to hear more about that. Is that a result of Dark Frontier and some sort of Hive Collapse? I would love uh, who, to hear
0: about who they turn to to help them. Uh,
1: the they, exa- who the f- so, so the, so three Borg walk into a barber shop and, uh, you know, like ha, ha, who, who the fuck is going to help Borg drones? Like that's, that's the story I wanted to see in all this is what happens when Borg get off their leash and they go to some fucking back alley patch, like Jack Nicholson and Batman 89 and, and need to get their face fixed up. Like, crazy. I would I
0: would love to hear more about the the planet that had three drones show up uh, show up and they didn't shoot them. <laughs> you know, like, oh yeah, you guys are cool. You have the story that you just want to be people now. Yeah, let's uh pop you open here on the operating table. We'll see what we can do for you. Like yeah. I assume you have money, some, right? Yeah, yeah clearly. Hey, I you know, I can buy that the Delta Quadrant has some good-hearted people in it, but I would love to have an explanation beyond we went to this planet, which apparently is the depot for having your board shit removed. Yeah. So the episode continues into them trying to find access to these memories that none of them have, including Seven, as to what happened on the planet. They remember up to the point where uh, the trio had started to have their emerging personalities and Seven tried to, like, get them to stop, but nothing after that. And they end up including Seven in the link to Technobabble, Technobabble, access the memories because they know they're there. They just can't get to them. And you finally see the end of the flashbacks, which is the Terminatrix part. It's all Seven's fault. She put this connection into their brains and uh, you know she was unaware of her culpability in that until now. But now all of them know at the same time that it's her fault.
1: And they know at the same time because they all go into shared dream state at the same time. Which Cote nowhere in sight. What a miss! Well, a you know failure. why is because there was only exactly four Borg alcove slots in Cargo Bay Seven or whatever. Like, what what luck that that's exactly how many open slots they had for the shared dream to to get the MacGuffin. Boy, those odds! chakotay is the real miss in this episode for me he has the experience the most experience with the borg he was part of the borg hippie commune he had super uh aggressive stance towards the borg through scorpion part one and two uh i would really like to see a little background input from him on everything happening here, and
0: uh... well, he does ultimately. Remember, that's probably the best up scene in the episode is that they talk in in uh, astrometrics about what to do with with uh, ultimately. Like the the issue is that the psychic stress of finding out, like getting access to these memories, has caused a synaptic failure in the trio of drones, and there are two paths forward. The doctor can eliminate their connection, but it's tied to the higher brain function, so ultimately they're going to start to degrade and die within a month, or they can be fully reassimilated, at which point
1: they would live, but they would be drones. That's that's Chakotay I'm trying to get into Seven's Pants mode. That's not Chakotay, fuck the Borg, blow them all out of the airlock, Chakotay. And I don't know what point he switched camps here uh yes he was good as a as a counselor on he was good as a spiritual advisor you know, morality like, issue there it's, it's more just the the anti-borg sentiment i would like to see some sort of input on that
0: i didn't feel like that element was necessary because seven was already like in that spot right the big revelation from this episode is seven of nine has no uh nostalgia for being borg anymore she used to like in season four she it she seemed to express it constantly and she actually has a scene with balana where she kind of snaps back at her when balana suggests she had like some bout of nostalgia for it uh and you know she apologizes to her for it but you know it's conveyed she's got hostility now for being a Borg. She doesn't actually want to send these guys back to be drones. She doesn't have to be counseled that that's bad. It's more the morality of I'm responsible for this. I bear a moral choice here where I'm essentially condemning them to die. If I give them what they want, or I can send them back to what I know they don't want, but they'll live and You know, the sub choice, the subtext of the moral choice is, you know, seven can do the easy thing, which is to deprive them of the thing that they have been seeking or do the difficult thing and bear the consequences of knowing that she killed them. And Chakotay is the correct person to talk to when you have that kind of choice in front of you. (laughs) Like if everyone on Voyager, he's probably the most qualified. He's the one who's going to give you the best advice.
1: I feel like there's. Two more options that they didn't put on the table here. The the first was sending them back to the hippie co-op. The fourth one, if you killed two of the three people, wouldn't the third person be the last man standing with a normal lifespan? So you're saying the other option was to kill two of the
0: three and just leave one alive? Yeah. Well, I think by the time the issue was that. By the time they were at this decision point, that was no longer on the table because of the neural shock issue, like they either had to have the link severed, or um, be reassimilated because of that. But also, it could be that if you killed two of them, all three of their memories would just exist in one person instead, and they wouldn't still be an individual. They would mm. just be three people in one body. Mm. Um, so the 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 ticking clock element being. You know, we have to make a decision on if you're going to kill them, but they get a small window where they get to be people or send them both back to the to to the collective
1: is the decision that has to be made. Sure. And that's the the big moral showdown. Obviously, Starfleet's not going to kill two to save one. Um, Obviously, she makes the call to give them all their one month of uh, of unfettered life. Uh, wow, what a terrible thing to have to carry with you, that a a knee-jerk reaction. This is something they don't really play up at all in the episode. They've touched on before that Seven has been involved in genocide, mass assimilation, and everything else, and the easy cover for that has always been that those were not my actions, they were the collective's actions, and I was forced to be a part of it. The blood isn't really on my hands, whereas here... These are three lives that she has damaged forever that squarely sit on her shoulder. And I think that would be good guilt and grief for her to carry through the rest of the season. I'm sure it won't, but uh, this is blood very specifically on her hands.
0: Yeah, I think the episode itself does a good job of of portraying her having to carry that weight. That's where it shines is. Her acknowledging that she's responsible for this and feeling the weight of it, not dismissing it. Right. Like not being comfortable with the fact that she is responsible for this, um, you know, grasping at feelings of family. And, you know, she, you know, she has further conversation with Nami Wildman about, you know, wanting to feel that connection and, and it, it showed her growing emotional depth through all of those interactions in a way that was ultimately profitable to her overall characterization, I think. And I'm ha- I, the, it is get, does get built on a little bit more from here, uh, not this specific thread, uh, but that her continued development kind of continues down this path of maturing into being not just being a a individual, but now being a fully realized person. And I, I think that's for the best in terms
1: of making the story more interesting for the viewer. So she brings them all back severed with a, uh, one month counter hanging over their head until they die. Uh, one of the guys wants to go off on a planet and die alone. Another guy wants to go on the space station and do drugs and fuck hookers. And the last one being the Bajoran lady, uh, What's her name? Mariko Wilkara uh, says it feels good to be back on a Federation cruiser. I think I want to serve out the rest of my time here. Uh, you get varying degrees of um, reception to what Seven has done. The one guy says, you know, it's not within my people's beliefs to bear ill will. I, I, I forgive you. The other guy just kind of gives her a knowing look. And then the Bajoran's like, uh, fuck you, but I understand why it did it. I would have loved to see more of the Bajoran lady. I think, again, it's a shame that Voyager does not pick up more crew members along the way. And I think someone like this would have been a great foil to Seven. uh, And I think you could have told a lot of really good stories with her, even if it was just over the course of one month.
0: I agree with you in part, because having Seven have to deal with this for a longer period of time might have been interesting both for her and just to give us a little bit kind of extra flavor in the crew. I think I would have, if you're going to do that, I would have much preferred people interacting with the Equinox crew. Like, yo, here's the survivors from the UAC hell ship. <laughs> like, and we're murdering, you know, Uwu space kittens like that. Like talking, you brought on some people, even the Maquis can be like, y'all look dirty.
1: <laughs> like that, that would have been a better way to. Yes. To, to give focus. it to me. Listen, the first two fucking episodes of this season, you have brought enough new elements onto the ship that the next 10 episodes could be doing nothing but dealing with this new dynamic. This, you know, was a good episode for me by the end. It wasn't what I was expecting. We skipped over fucking Tom and Harry yet again, fucking up a shore leave because Janeway stupid to let them off the ship, getting in a fist fight, whatever, that doesn't matter. You know, It's not a bad Borg story. It's a good seven character development episode. Uh, Yeah, you got these fucking Equinox dudes rolling around. Equinox part two was overall good, I think. Like, I don't know at what point we're going to hit our first dud episode for this season, but anything that is a shitty episode, they decided to tell instead of how do you deal with co-workers who are, you know, uh, guilty of war crimes or another a Starfleet officer who was Borg and escaped and has been dumped here alongside you in the Delta Quadrant and only has another 15 days of it. like, if you're not telling those stories and you're wasting time with fucking uh, Plotter and Rotsdam or whatever the fucking <laughs> those holodeck characters that were fire and water, you know, you, you give me the first dud and I'm going to be pissed. You got a great table set here. And they do nothing with it. <laughs> like uh uh that should be the real meme for Voyager. It isn't two Vix and, and Lizard babies, but just like all of the great stories you set the table for, and then just throw everything in the fucking trash. And it was never what what was that from Game of Thrones? Uh the one kid the the uh blacksmith's Oh Gendry who just Gendry? rose off in his rowboat, never to be seen from again for eight years. Well, they, they brought him back at the end. I know, but for the longest time, it was such a good meme of just, you know, oh, he's with Gendry out in the rowboat, never to be seen from again. What do we watch next week, sir? Season six, episode three, Barge of the Dead. And it's Janeway's tanning around a party when an ion storm hits her shuttle. Balana is injured and slips into a coma, during which she envisions Klingons killing her crew and friends. This is a uh, classic Ron Moore had to do
0: the Klingon episode <laughs> circumstance. So famously, Ron Moore is responsible for essentially the entirety of all the backstory and uh, uh, lore of the Klingons in the next gen era. Like all of the Wharf stuff, all of the uh, stuff about like the Klingon High Council, the, uh, the Duras, all that. It's him. He did that. And so. He was on Voyager just long enough to give us a Klingon episode.
1: I don't want to care about this. Klingons aren't really my cup of tea, and this looks like another bottle. It was all a dream. Like We'll see what happens.
0: All right, sir. Thank you so much for coming on this hateful voyage with us, and we'll see you next week.